I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you on a Monday. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. And as always, we've got a lot of ground to cover on the fastest 60 minutes of radio. And we will attempt to slow things down just a little bit for you on a Monday, help you divide the rage from the reason, elevate the conversation, connect the dots, and help the news make sense. Because that's what we do here every day on Inside Sources. And Uh, So many things happening uh, over the weekend as we continue to see uh, the economic impact of what's going on with the coronavirus and the uh, health toll continues uh, to to uh, increase. And we're watching that around the country. Obviously, we're watching very closely here in the state of Utah today as we look at what happens as people begin to ease their way back in and as the economy begins to emerge and open up a little bit. Uh, We've talked about this a number of times, that it's important uh, not just for the economy to open up, but really it's society that has to open back up. I think that's where everyone will ultimately have enough confidence to fully engage uh, in the economy is as they really connect uh, with their neighbors, with family. Uh, and as that starts to move forward, then we can address it as well. Uh, of course, a lot of uh, conversations being had around education, and we'll continue to, to talk about that as an important piece of this puzzle. Uh, can we really do a good assessment in terms of what has happened over the last eight weeks? And then what does that mean for the fall? And if uh, classes uh, can't happen in the fall, what does that look like? Are we ready for a next round of distance learning? And what does that uh, look like? Uh, and as always, we want to hear what's uh, going on in your world, and you can always do that on our Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line, 57500, only when it's safe. Uh, but I do want to hear how things are going your way. What did you notice over the weekend? What did you see? Did you get out and about? Did you go to stores? Uh, and uh, what what was that experience like? Were people doing the social distancing? How many people were wearing masks? What does that look like today? Uh, and then, of course, we were watching as we were closing out the week last week. Uh, the House passed on Friday a uh, $3 trillion. Uh, I don't really think it was an economic bill as much as it was a uh, political piece of legislation. Uh, a lot of things in there that really didn't have a lot to do with the coronavirus or the economy or frontline responders uh, or health care. Uh, some of that was in there, of course, but uh, there were a lot of things that were far more political in nature in a political year. And uh, so that did pass uh, narrowly in the House on Friday. And uh, now it uh, has moved over to the Senate, where I think it will probably be ignored this week. Uh, They will be on recess next week with Memorial Day. And then we'll see what the Senate does if the Senate comes back with their own version uh, I think part of what they want to do is just see what happens with the economy as you look at more and more states beginning to open up. What does that do? What kind of stimulus is needed? Uh, and the thing that I want to get to is how do we know that the last 
four rounds of uh, packages have done anything that was productive? Did did we really get the water to the end of the road? Did we get the funds to the right people? Did it help the American people? Did it help small business? Uh, we need to do all of that. And uh, you're going to want to stay with us uh, coming up at 1120. Uh, Representative John Curtis uh, will join us live on the Newsmaker line. And uh, he introduced last week, late last week, uh, Deal with the Debt Today Act, uh, which I couldn't agree with more. Uh, because we do have to to take a look at it. If we look at another three trillion, uh, it's going to put us about twenty eight trillion uh, in debt. If we add that to the twenty five trillion we're already sitting on, uh, so we're going to have a conversation with uh, John Curtis about that, what that means, and how we can actually do that in Washington D.C. So look forward to uh, talking with Representative John Curtis coming up here in about ten minutes on KSL News Radio. So stay with us uh, for that. That'll be a great conversation. Really interesting piece because we we have to get to the point where we can have that discussion. Some people are saying, well, you just got to spend right now because we're in the middle of this crisis. Uh, and that may be true. The problem is, is there's always a crisis. There's always a fiscal cliff. There's always a Armageddon this or an Armageddon that uh, because that's what Washington does better than anything else. They create a crisis. Uh, and then they can spend and they can suspend all of the budgetary things that you and I do in our homes every single day and every single month and every single year because we balance the books and we've we've got to expect more. So I, I applaud John Curtis for uh, bringing this forward now. It would be very easy to just ignore this conversation right now and just say, well, we're just going to keep spending because we just got to spend because we're in a crisis. No, now is the time to really plan and strategize. How are we going to do this, and how are we going to do it right moving forward? That's the real test. Uh, in fact, I want to go quickly. Uh, there was a, uh, a good summary of where we are in terms of the economy coming from the Fed Chair uh, Powell uh, over the weekend. Let's take a listen. Fed Chair Powell called this the biggest shock in living memory to the economy and said he doesn't believe that the economy will fully recover from the lockdowns until the end of 2021. If you look at unemployment today, it is 14.7% as of April, 20 million Americans out of work. And he believes those numbers will continue to climb in the coming months, potentially as high as 25%. All right. Uh, so, uh, again, obviously the unemployment Numbers continue to to go up and move forward. Uh, the Dow seems to be holding just fine today, up just uh, a little bit, uh, over over twenty four thousand again, twenty four thousand five forty seven at the moment. Uh, so things are in a positive territory there. And to me, the real question we we've got to get to is how do we make sure that we we do have the right levers? Because I I do believe government has a role to play in situations like this. Uh, but if government has already pulled all the levers that it can pull and spent all the money it can spend, then often what happens is it ends up hurting the poor and the most vulnerable the most. Because right now we're we're uh, paying almost zero percent interest on our national debt on the twenty five trillion. Uh, that's not going to stay that way forever. If that ticks up at all towards historic averages, uh, we'll be paying about a, a trillion a year in just interest payment, which is interesting uh, to contemplate. Uh, but all of those things end up hurting the poor and the most vulnerable the most. And so we, we've got to be careful. So, again, we'll continue. I uh, can't wait to ask some of these questions uh, to Representative Curtis today, uh, get his insight and what he hopes to accomplish with his bill, uh, again, coming up at 1120. Uh, also really interesting, uh, this date in history, uh, Mount St. Helens blew uh, 40 years ago. 
And uh, my wife lived in the Northwest. Uh, she was in the Tri-Cities area there. And, and she described that day of, you know, everything went dark uh, and everything was covered in ash. Uh, and then they went back to school, I think, for one day and gathered all their belongings and went home. And kind of, that was the end of the school year. Uh, so there's a lot of really interesting, eerie similarities to to where we are now. Uh, and and so it's an important lesson in terms of, hey, we've been we've been here before. We've been through hard things before, uh, whether that's on a local level or a national level or an international level. Uh, and so we can do this uh, and we can move it forward. I uh, love that KSL is uh, really highlighting a lot of our 2020 seniors. And uh, if you haven't been listening throughout the day, there's been some great excerpts from speeches uh, from these uh, high school graduates. Uh, I encourage you to listen to those on the KSL News Radio app uh, by our friends at Any Hour Services. Just so many great pieces of insight. We'll go back to some of those a little later on in the program today. Uh, so let's go ahead and step aside. Uh, take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we will be joined by Representative John Curtis. We're going to talk about Deal with the Debt Act. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, You need to. Give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News. Great to be with you today, and we're going to roll right into this because uh, we got some serious ground to cover. Very pleased to be joined by Representative John Curtis, uh, who, as we mentioned earlier in the program, uh, introduced late last week the uh, Deal with the Debt Today Act. And uh, I have just been chomping at the bit all weekend to have this conversation. Representative, thanks for joining us. Uh, hey, Boyd. Uh, good to talk to you, as always. Well, co- Congress is uh, is really good at the uh, the spending lever. <laughs> the paying for it is is less so. Tell us, what is the uh, the purpose of the Deal with the Debt Today Act? Well, it's trying to balance very carefully the need for Congress to help in, in times of national emergencies and, and disasters, and, and yet at the same time put in some accountability for, for what we do. I've noticed since I've been in Congress uh, a number of times, hurricanes or earthquakes or, or floods that we have responded to. And it's as if Congress has found this one little category where it gets to, to spend money with no accountability. And this simply adds in the, the backside of this, which says, okay, there are times when we need to do this, but let's pay it back. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's so vital. And, and a lot of people, uh, I think, agree that, yes, there is a role for government to play, especially in a pandemic or a hurricane or whatever it might be. Uh, but we've got to make sure that, you know, one, that we're having some transparency and some accountability in terms of waste, fraud and abuse. And, and then is it actually working? Is it doing what we thought it would do uh, moving in? Exactly. And the fact that you have to pay it back eventually builds in a much greater desire to have um, 
transparency, to make sure the money is well spent. If, if nobody ever comes back and asks uh, you to pay the money back, you're not as concerned about the transparency and you're not as concerned about fraud and abuse. Yeah. And so how do you think, uh, I know on Friday, the, the House passed uh, this next round, this uh, $3 trillion, which doesn't look like it's going to get a, a lot of hearing in the Senate this week, but... Uh, uh, how, how do we get to the, the next phase of this? How do we change this conversation so that we are talking about what's the right thing to do? What's the proper role to do? How can we help the right people? And then how do we do get the accountability and pay it back so our, that our grandchildren aren't uh, footing the bill? Well, I asked myself that very question, and that's why we came up with this bill. In, in essence, it says, look, we can spend the money, but it has to be paid back within 10 years. So the problem that we've had is we're only having one side of the conversation, which is, wow, wouldn't it be great to have a bunch of money? And of course, everybody wants to spend it. The other side of the equation is, well, there are ramifications of that. And so my bill simply introduces the backside of that conversation, which says, okay, if we're going to spend the money, we also have to deal with the consequences of having spent that money. Mm, I think that's, uh, that's so vital. And again, it's so easy not to, there's sort of this, uh, uh, it's kind of the rush through syndrome of something big yeah. happens or we have a fiscal cliff or a hurricane or, a you know, something's <laughs> going to happen. There's always a crisis, you know, to, to deal with. Uh, but I think just changing the dynamic to know, hey, we're going to come back and talk about how this what worked, what didn't work, what went right, what went wrong, what could be done better uh, and then how we're going to pay for it. Uh, that's a very different conversation than I think Congress has sor- sort of been lulled into over the last couple of decades. You know, I've been here just two and a half years, and, and that's certainly been my uh, observation and, and lulled into it is exactly right. And, and I might mention, too, this bill is not punitive in any way. It gives Congress two years to come up with a plan and then an, an eight to- ten years total to pay the money back. So um, some of these burdens of helping out in disasters can be quite light if you look at it from a 10-year perspective of paying it back. But, uh, but it also ensures that eventually it gets paid back. And I promise you that will make people think twice before they vote for spending money when they know it has to be paid back. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's such a vital part of the equation. If you're just joining us, we have Representative John Curtis on the line with us. He introduced the Deal with the Debt Today Act uh, late last week. A uh, good group of co-sponsors, some really sharp folks there. Ted Budd from uh, North Carolina is uh, a favorite uh, who's doing some really good things back there. Uh, I wanted to to break down just a little bit further, uh, Representative Curtis, on on the interest we're paying on the on the debt. We're, if we if we just use rounding and say, well, it's twenty five trillion and and climbing. Uh, currently, we're not paying a lot of interest on that uh, because we are at historic lows. Uh, but what happens if not a big spike, not a not a big surge, but what if we just go back to historic averages in terms of our interest rate on that $25 trillion? Well, that is uh, uh, what scares all of us, isn't it? And then the second thing is, even though the interest rate is low right now, at the rate we're borrowing, um, it, it won't matter even how low the interest rate is in a few years at, at, at our current pace. And, and is there a way uh, – the thing that I worry most about is if that interest rate does go up and, and suddenly we're, you know, we're paying a trillion a year in interest uh, as opposed to a couple hundred billion, uh, really there's no way you can tax your way out of that. You can print more. Uh, but the thing that worries me is that all of this we're saying we're doing for the, for the poor and the most vulnerable at the moment – 
in the end, uh, they may be the ones that get hurt the most uh, if we don't get this thing under control. Well, you are echoing and using different words exactly what I said on the House floor when we when we passed the first AIDS package, which is, okay, I get we need to do this, but if we're not careful, our next crisis will be financial. It won't be a pandemic. It will be financial. And then all these people you're trying to, to help, you won't be able to help them. And that's really what we want to make sure we stay away from. Yeah. Let's talk just quickly about the uh, the political ramifications of all of this. Uh, many people uh, accuse Speaker Pelosi of not producing an economic do- document, but a political document uh, with a, a lot of things for uh, a lot of blue states, a lot of blue cities that uh, I think are struggling and we're struggling already uh, in terms of their financial crisis. And, and I'm not so worried about pointing fingers and place and blame, but can we get past the political discussion on all of this and really get to the essence of what the American people need on this? Well, I think the Americans should be proud. Uh, the first uh, several rounds of legislation that was passed was very uh, bipartisan. Um, a, a little bit of political agenda popping in here and there, but, sure. but generally speaking, it, it, it was very bipartisan. And this took a 180-degree turn where Republicans weren't even invited into the discussions. Uh, no amendments. And, and, of course, we were thousands of miles away. Congress was not in session. So she had the luxury of being back there with just the people that she wanted to include in the discussion. And that's really unfortunate and, and, and breaks the trend that we had of these bipartisan bills that were, were coming through and passing with, with near unanimous support. And really, we've got to get back in that mode of, of coming together. That does, it, it means you're going to have things in the bills that you don't exactly like everything. But overall, it's the best for the country. And that's what we did so well those first few times and, and failed at this last week. Uh, and I, I appreciate you reminding us that uh, those first uh, three in particular were very bipartisan, uh, almost unanimous uh, votes. I think You're that unanimous, is, yeah. Yeah, I think that's so important. And uh, it, it does seem that we're starting to trickle more into the political space and uh, my my worry, I, I was uh, talking with the former Speaker Newt Gingrich, uh, who's been in this interesting spot in Rome for the the whole pandemic. Yeah, uh, yeah. but he was he was most worried that uh, it's it sort of becomes this uh, four person law firm of Pelosi, McCarthy, yeah. Schumer, and McConnell, uh, and so many of our representatives get boxed out of this. As you mentioned, you were thousands of miles away. Um, how do we get past that part of the program where the leaders of both parties uh, tend to control things so much that uh, the rest of the representatives don't get their voice? Well, I've seen this too often, and that is that um, as that process happens, really all they look for is enough votes for it to pass. They don't look for my vote, if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, And so because they don't need my vote, I, I get almost no say, and, and and that's more general than just me. You know, they need 218 votes is all they need, and so they they work until they get those 208 votes, and then they pretty much stop on consensus. And the reason so many of us didn't like this remote voting bill that passed last week is that means even more of that can happen without us being in Washington D.C. And that, that that little four-person team that you talked about, or the small nucleus of whoever is is making these decisions, brings it to the floor. They know they have their 218 votes because they put enough, you know, candy in there for those 218 people, and then it passes. And that's 
that that's what really scares me about that remote voting. Yeah, and I think that is such a critical point that nobody really seems to be talking about is that it does uh, really allow the leaders, again, of both parties to just focus on just the bare essentials of, of who they need, uh, not getting us transparency, not getting a, a real amendment process, and uh, that's that's the scary part. Yeah, yep, absolutely. All right. Representative John Curtis, always appreciate your insight. The uh, Deal with the Debt Today Act, uh, really smart, really uh, important work. I appreciate all you're doing for the state of Utah back there in Washington, D.C. Thanks, Boyd. Talk again soon. All right. All the best. Again, that's Representative John Curtis joining us on the Newsmaker Line. Great uh, insight from him. We'll continue this discussion right here on KSL News Radio. Stay with us. Much more to come. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.